Hello and welcome to the Berkeley Remix, a seasonal podcast series from the Oral History Center of the Bancroft Library at the University of California, Berkeley. Founded in 1954, the center records and preserves the history of California, the nation, and our interconnected world. In this podcast series, we draw on thousands of interviews to bring those stories to life. Please join us for the third season of the Berkeley Remix, entitled First Response, AIDS and Community in San Francisco. This is Paul Burnett interviewing Sally Hughes for the AIDS podcast. Welcome, Sally. It's great to see you. you. I'm wondering if you could tell me a little bit about how the project got started, what your goals were, and how it evolved. The idea I have to credit to Evelyn and David Lynette, both of whom are virologists. And they had the idea that what had been happening in San Francisco in terms of the AIDS epidemic was not properly documented, or let's say only episodically documented. I had done an oral history with her father, also an eminent um, virologist, Edwin Lynette. So they knew about the office, they knew a little bit about me and my background, and I was absolutely delighted. I had been following the AIDS epidemic in sort of an average superficial way, essentially reading the Chronicle, where there was so much, largely because of Randy Schultz, on the epidemic, and then being very aware that San Francisco itself was a unique center of the gay population, unlike any other place that I'm aware of, with a geographic location that was very concentrated with ties between the community and the superstructure of the San Francisco government, because um, largely because gay people were fairly reliable voters. And so it behooved the government to pay particular attention to this very organized community, which will play into the story of how the response to AIDS evolved in San Francisco, because to a certain extent, the groundwork had already been laid. Now, I'm not pretending that it was all rosy. I mean, there were difficulties, particularly when we come to the episode on the bathhouses. But the ties between the gay community and the city government were stronger and more pervasive than I believe was even true in New York City, for Mm. example. So when did you start working with the Lynettes, and what were you going to focus on in terms of the time period of the interviews? Well, the Lynettes were very firm that the set of interviews should focus on the first four years of the epidemic, 1981 through 1985, because, first of all, that was an intriguing period when people involved with AIDS were trying to find out what caused this terrible disease. But more than that, I think probably was in their mind that things changed dramatically once the AIDS virus um, was identified. And 
ACT came along. Then it became more or less obviously a related story, but the really critical early background was what they wanted to get established. Mm. Um, maybe with the idea, which never materialized, that there would be yet another series of interviews on that later period. Right, right. And so these were all conducted between when and when? The Mm mid-90s. I can't remember now exactly. Over probably a two-year period. I was pretty engaged in this project. You know, truthfully, it's if I had to look back on the hundreds of interviews that I've done. These were the most gripping for me and fascinating from so many different levels. The science, the medicine, the human trauma, the relationship to government. The politics. Exactly. That how could one not be absolutely fascinated by this story? I think we should be clear about what this podcast series is not. In order to do that, we need to talk about the the raw interviews. You interview the top researchers who are working on the epidemic. So there is a lot of information in this archive about the struggle to identify the virus, to develop early AIDS drugs, but we're not so focused on that in this podcast. Can you talk about the types of interviews that you were doing, the people you were interviewing, and what sets this archive apart from a lot of other sets of interviews out there Mm -hmm. about this crisis? Well, when the project was initially conceived, it was with academic physicians, probably because the Lynettes had contacts with those people. They themselves had an, an AIDS diagnostic lab, and Evelyn herself was a researcher in Jay Levy's lab, one of the people I eventually interviewed. And then as time went on, it became very necessary, to me anyway, to do a series on AIDS nurses, who, as we will see in a later episode, had an extraordinary role in setting up new structures for dealing with an epidemic that had different parameters than any other that they had experienced. And in the process, I think one of the themes that will come through is the empowerment of the nursing profession, that they, the nurses, were setting up AIDS wards. Physicians, of course, were there episodically visiting their patients, etc. It wasn't that they had dropped out of the picture. But nurses took over in a way that, as far as I know, had had not been true in other epidemics. And, of course, then we have the problem of how you deal with an epidemic that is having such devastating effects on the people affected because people were appearing with full-blown AIDS and all the terrible manifestations of that, from pneumocystis to Kaposi's sarcoma, etc. And how do you deal with a devastating disease when the disease agent is completely unknown? And people thrashing around looking at uppers and downers and cytomegalovirus and trying to cover the whole range of possible disease agents. And yet here were were patients presenting and you had to be able to care for them without knowing what was really affecting them. And I guess the other piece of it, too, as we'll see, is the, the nature of the sick population. 
these were people who had until very recently in that city been a, a marginalized population. They had been struggling for rights and recognition. But there was discrimination even in the hospital wards. It was not uncommon for some nurses to not want to come into contact with them or who were, because of their own fears, disgusted by them as people because of their behavior, because of their orientation. And so that's another layer of the problem mm -hmm. that the the nurses who built these new structures had to contend with. The partners of the dying people did not have the same visitation rights, exactly. for example. Yeah. So a new way of caring for this population becomes a really important model for, for AIDS care that, that it spreads across country and it spreads around the world. And so that's something that we want to explore in this podcast right. as well. And there's another layer to that discrimination in many cases in that many of these men, and in the initial very early years when the epidemic was first discovered, they were largely gay men. And they had come after, particularly after Stonewall in um, 1969, moved deliberately to San Francisco which was viewed as a gay mecca. It was a place where they could be themselves. They could express their sexuality. Yet many of those same people had not come out to their families. And here they were desperately ill. In fact, those early cases, they were, they were dying. And they died in many cases very quickly. And then in a, that terrible context, their families were learning that their child was gay. And some parents, some family members accepted that. There were others that absolutely didn't. So the patient was faced with rejection by the family members closest to them. So it was sort of evil on top of evil or discomfort on top of discomfort in terms of people who needed all the support they could get under the circumstances. In many ways, this podcast is really about the first encounter. It's the medical community scrambling to deal with this, relying on relationships that had already been established between public health services, city services, uh, the general hospital, and the gay community, and new um, gay health organizations, which we'll talk a little bit about. At the same time, we can't cover everything, so so listeners should not expect a detailed explorations of community organizations and activist organizations, of which there are many, but that was beyond the scope of your project. You were looking at three populations, basically. Can you tell yeah. me what they were? Um, well, the first, as I mentioned, was were the academic physicians. And with a few exceptions, they were largely at San Francisco General Hospital. And there was a reason for that. You know, San Francisco General is the UCSF and county um, managed hospital. And for many people without medical insurance, it's the last resort. County, as it is called, cannot reject patients as UCSF can or could in those days and did, as a matter of fact. I mean, with some exceptions, those earliest AIDS patients were not welcomed at UCSF. So 
by default and by the motivation of, of some very dedicated physicians, and as we'll see, nurses as well, San Francisco General became the center for AIDS care, where the social systems that grew up around the epidemic were focused. And then there's, uh, and then there's the nurses, the nursing and, population. And the nurses yeah. is a, was the second series, and we will see what a major, major role they had in setting up what becomes known as the San Francisco model of AIDS care. And then the third were with community physicians, all of whom, I believe, had gay practices, or at least partially gay practices, before the epidemic was recognized. And that's a very interesting story, because the incidence of, of infectious diseases was high in the gay community because of their sexual activity. But the a general feeling in the gay community that was affected in such ways, oh, you just take an antibiotic. And then it it did not necessarily slow down or um, change your sexual activity. And yet when the community physicians look back on some of the cases that they've been treating over the years, they realize, oh, my heavens, there were signs that this community was already affected before the epidemic was officially recognized. But these, these gay medical practices, private practices, had evolved because people wanted to go to someone. They weren't necessarily gay themselves. Uh, right. But most of them were. And uh, so if you were gay and you were sick, you wanted to be able to go to a physician who would not judge you, who would understand your lifestyle and respect your choices. And that evolved even further into actual uh, physicians associations, which exactly. we'll talk about a little bit. Uh, and so there is this medical and public health community structure that was already in place before the epidemic struck. That's another facet of the interviews that you did. So across these three areas, the, the medical researchers, on the one hand, who are interested in the disease in, in terms of identifying it, fighting it, uh, the community health physicians who were interfacing with the gay population on a daily basis, and the nursing population in, in the hospitals, especially San Francisco General, who were dealing with the, the end stages of the disease and figuring out the human and humane way of managing the epidemic so that the people did not suffer over and above in terms of their position in society and the discrimination they had faced, that they would not have an added burden right. as a result of that's, that. That's very true. I mean, things as simple or complicated, however you look at it, as visiting hours. Those were completely eliminated, as were who can visit a patient. Anybody was allowed to visit a patient in, in, in the AIDS ward. We'll hear about those stories. Yes, we will hear about those stories. Well, thank you for taking the time to speak with us, Sally. Oh, it's my pleasure. This podcast was produced, written, and narrated by Paul Burnett. Editing by Ali Sherodis and Paul Burnett. Production and promotion assistance by David Dunham and Shanna Farrell. Special thanks to the band Do Make Say Think, whose music can be found at Constellation Records. 
Go to cstrecords.com or to your local record store to hear more. Berkeley Remix theme music by Paul Burnett. Thanks also to Scott Kalanico for his piece, When AIDS Was Funny, and to the archives of the Ronald Reagan Library, UC San Francisco, and San Francisco State University. All interview clips were taken from the Oral History Center collections, and the audio digitization was undertaken by David Dunham and the student employees Marissa Uribe, Carla Palacian, Amna Hawk, Holly O'Brien, and Cindy Jin. I'm Paul Burnett. Thank you for listening.